Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled, In the Footsteps of Our Kaju Masters, A Spiritual Treasury of Our Ancestors, by Lama Tom Broadwater. This talk will include a very brief survey of the five lives of our Kaju Masters. In addition, we will learn the meaning of the prayer in praise of them, the short Vajradhara lineage prayer, and the precious instructions they handed down to us. Then we will recite the prayer. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Teksum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. So good morning, everybody. Uh, happy Easter, blessed Easter. Glad to see you all here. It's a beautiful day in a beautiful setting. Uh, so uh, welcome. My name is Tom Broadwater. I have the great fortune to be uh, one of the lamas that uh, is allowed to teach here. So uh, it's, uh, it's wonderful to, uh, to uh, see you all here. Um, we start, uh, traditionally we start by reciting refuge and bodhicitta. It sort of establishes for us uh, what we're all about. It establishes our intention. And so you have these little plastic cards. And uh, as my first grade teacher would say, speak with an outside voice, nice and loud. And uh, we'll say it in English. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, May I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. So again, welcome. Uh, some of you have come a distance, and I appreciate the fact that you have come here today. Um, we do, uh, I, every time I come in here, I'm overwhelmed by the beauty of this place. And what's really neat to tell you, it's going to get even better as uh, the statues arrive from, from Nepal. So we're, we're really excited about this. So uh, on this Easter, I thought, you know, to go along with tradition, that I would introduce you to the family. <laughs> the family's here. Uh, so my purpose, first of all, is to give you a brief introduction. Since we only have an hour, I can't give you their entire histories, but I can tell you something about this family. These are our ancestors. These are our spiritual uh, masters. And it is only because of them we are here. So that's the first thing I want to do. I want to introduce them to you. 
The second thing I want to do is uh, to share with you a prayer that uh, goes along with this, uh, with this family. And finally, I'm going to share with you uh, one of the gems uh, of the inheritance we have received from this family. So I have three objectives. Hopefully we'll get all three of them accomplished uh, by the end of the hour. And it's sort of ambitious. So uh, I don't know if I'll, I'll get it all done or not. So the pictures I gave you, uh, and by the way, you are welcome to take them, keep them at home. Uh, put them, if you do take them at home, I would ask you to put them in a place of some honor. Uh, uh, that would be important. And if you don't want to take them home, that's fine. Just leave them here. We'll be glad to distribute them to other folks. But in that picture at the very top is Vajradhara. Now, again, at the very top. And he's called the primordial Buddha, the Dharmakaya Buddha. And he is depicted as dark blue in color. Um, and he's the heart of Buddhahood itself. Vajradhara represents the essence of the historical Buddha's realization of enlightenment. So uh, Prince Siddhartha, he attained uh, enlightenment under the Bodhi tree about 2,500 years ago. And according to Buddhist cosmology, uh, <clears throat> he was the fourth historic Buddha. Uh, his achievement of enlightenment is called the Dharmakaya, the body of truth. When expressed through subtle symbols, that realization is called Sambodhakaya the body of enjoyment. These could be talks all in themselves. I'm just giving a, a, a brief uh, survey. You might call this a survey course on the, on the Akadri lineage. So uh, when this realization manifests in physical form, in the form of Shakyamuni Buddha, it's called the Nirmanakaya. Uh, and uh, it's the body of manifestation. So going back to Vajradhara, he's the Dharmakaya. Uh, and the Dharmakaya is synonymous with Vajradhara Buddha. And again, he's the source of all manifestations of enlightenment. Vajradhara is central to the Kaju lineage because Talopa, and we'll talk about him in a minute, Talopa received the Vajrayana teachings directly from Vajradhara. So uh, we begin our story, our introduction to our family with Vajradhara. It basically, our uh, our lineage uh, originated in the nature of Buddhahood. And he's also known as the primordial Buddha. That sort of might get us a little, so what's, what's primordial Buddha? I mean, how could, if it's beginningless time, how could we say this is the first Buddha? Well, we, 
Buddhists have a different concept of time. It is not linear as we think of in, in uh, Western uh, thinking. It's circular. It's samsara over and over again. So beginningless is in that sense. So in that sense, we can speak of Vajradhara as the uh, primordial Buddha. Now I want to point out Talopa. And he is on the right side of Vajradhara. He has a fish in his hand. We'll, just, we'll talk about that fish in a minute. By the way, before I go too far, I want to say there are stories in here that sound uh, mythical, uh, sort of like a legend and that sort of thing. I'm not going to talk too much about that, but if we have time at the end, we might discuss, if someone has a question about it, we might discuss that legendary aspect to the stories I'm going to tell you. But I first just want to tell you the stories. So the first one is Talopa. And basically, he was the first master of the Kadru lineage. He actually began as a uh, studying the Brahmin uh, Hindu uh, texts. And uh, while wandering around in various places, he wound up in a Buddhist monastery, uh, was attracted to that, uh, uh, the approach of the Buddhist uh, teachings, and he started learning. And he had a great uh, desire to learn everything that the Buddha said and did. Uh, and during this time of study, he actually uh, developed visions. He saw visions of what he was learning. He had many sacred visions. And uh, during this time, he also gained great accomplishments. And the word accomplishment is city, an accomplishment of some sort, generally based upon his meditation uh, qualities. So he gained cities over the years. And so for 12 years, he devoted himself totally to the practices and attaining realization. It is said that from the ultimate point of view, that Talopa had no human teachers, uh, that the full realization that he attained came through the Buddha Vajradhara. So Talopa practiced with a yogini, uh, the daughter of a sesame seed pounder. And the monks, because of that uh, sort of unorthodox behavior, they excluded him from the monastery. Uh, and so he became a uh, pounder of sesame seeds to get the oil out of the sesame seeds. And that's how he made his living. And so he became known as Talipa, the sesame seed pounder. Uh, also during this time, he received teachings from Dakinis in the land of Odiana. Uh, and another thing that uh, we, we, sometimes you have relatives you don't always want to tell their entire story about. You know, we have these. Well, according to uh, the story, 
uh, Tolopa actually worked in a brothel. And he uh, worked uh, with a, a prostitute by the name of Darima. Uh, and he attained a great Mahamudra realization through practicing in this situation. That might be a scandal for some people, but uh, it's a part of our lineage. It's a part of the story of our lineage. Uh, and all during this time, he, he developed a great deal of di uh, diligence in his practice of Mahamudra. Let me explain just a little bit about what Mahamudra is. It's both a practice and it is the state of mind where we recognize the nature of our mind. So it's both of those things. So he, through practice, recognized the nature of his mind. And as I'm sure you all learned from uh, beginning uh, uh, in your classes downstairs, that uh, the nature of our mind is Buddha nature. So he realized that. Uh, so he passed this on to different individuals, his realization, and he did it in songs. Uh, they're beautiful songs that uh, he sang. In fact, when he taught, uh, oftentimes he would go into villages and he and his consort would be uh, above the village and uh, the villagers would ask questions and he would answer from above in song. So that's a part of the story. And so after doing this for many, many years and guiding disciples, uh, he departed from this world, leaving no physical body. By the way, all this is called the Golden Rosary. And it goes from Vajradhara down to this present age with the Karmapa. And they call it the Golden Rosary because it is golden. It is a beautiful uh, teachings. And it's a rosary because each one is linked to the next. Lineage is terribly important in our Kadri uh, lineage. And it's, it's not just what is being said, but the realization that is passed from the teacher down to the student. So it's both those things that are terribly important. So from Vajradhara to Talopa, and then on down, there's this unbroken rosary of teaching and realization. So Talopa was passing that on down, and the next person he passed it down to was Naropa, who is on the other side of the picture you have in hand. Uh, and he, uh, Naropa, was another great Indian Mahasiddha. Uh, in fact, he was a, a master of Mahamudra and Tantra. Tantra are those teachings. Uh, let's make it real simple here. Deity practice. It is those deity practices that he learned and became very accomplished in. And again, he received all those teachings from Talopa, and they were transmitted uh, then further down the line to Marpa. And Marpa's the big guy in the picture. Formidable looking character, isn't he? <laughs> uh, 
And, and they say uh, he was very formidable uh, in his approach, and we'll see that in a minute. So uh, going back to Naropa, uh, he was what is called a Tertika Pandit, uh, which is a scholar of non-Buddhist teachings. Uh, and he was also, according to t uh, the stories that I have read, he was practicing the tantras of Hinduism. But later on, he uh, became interested in uh, Buddhist teaching and tradition and became actually an ordained monk. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, he became one of the most learned panditas uh, in Bodhidharma. And for this accomplishment, he actually was made like a, you could call him a university president. And they stationed him on the nor as a northern gatekeeper, they called, in Nirlanda, which was a, a university in India. And he taught there. And he became one of the well-known abbots of the time. And again, he practiced Vajrayana Tantric meditation. Uh, one of the chief ones that he practiced was called Chakla Samvara. Uh, it's uh, not something we do here normally. Uh, it's, it's more often done in uh, retreat. But he did that practice every night. To tell you something about that, that may, take, uh, may have taken him a couple of hours to complete, and he did it every night. What I'm trying to also convey to you here is the absolute diligence these people uh, that our masters had. Something we can't do. I mean, let's be honest, we can't do that. But watching and, and looking at them, we can be inspired by what they did. So uh, he was looking for uh, a, a teacher. And so uh, he did find Tilopa. Uh, finally, it was a hard job to try to find him, but he found Tilopa. And uh, it was actually in a uh, monastery kitchen that he found Tilopa. This is the story. And Tilopa came to the kitchen uh, as a filthy old man and he roasted fish alive in the monastery. Uh, and the monks were horrified, as was uh, uh, Naropa. I mean, they said, what's going on here? And uh, so the monk said, stop that, stop, don't do that. And, and Tilopa said, no problem, take the fish out, put them in water, and they will come back to life. Sure enough, the monks did that. And sure enough, the fish came back to life. So uh, this extraordinary event uh, resulted in Naropa saying, I think this guy's got something going for himself. He's different from everybody else that I've ever known. And so he thought to himself, this must be the famous Tilopa. He thought that, and Tilopa said to him, Yes, I am Tilopa. And so Naropa became the student of Tilopa.
I won't go into all of them, but uh, as, a, uh, as a student of Tilopa, Naropa went through all kinds of trials, really crazy stuff. For example, I'll give you one example. Naropa went to a wedding feast and uh, found some vegetables and thought that would be nice to bring back to Tilopa. He took them back to Tilopa and said, and Tilopa said to him, I want more, go back and get me more. Tilopa knew that would cause <laughs> his student problems because in a, uh, a wedding, in a Indian wedding ceremony, you're only to be there once and you don't go back. Well, Tilopa went back stole some vegetables. The others saw him doing this, beating to a pulp. And uh, this was the kind of thing that Tilopa put Naropa through time after time after time. You and I would get discouraged about that. That's not what happened to him. He became ever more uh, devoted to Talopa, even though he was being treated this way. So in that respect, you could say Naropa served his guru, his teacher. And he stayed with Talopa for 12 years. Throughout this talk, I, I used the uh, phrase 12 years. It could mean a long time, just a long time. But the stories always say 12 years. So um, one of the other things that's really interesting here is that Talopa never spoke a single good word to his students. Never, he made him work <laughs> for what he did. And I think it's also based upon the fact that we can be very prideful. And if someone compliments us, instead of that encouraging us, that can actually just de make us deviate into more pride. So Tilopa, being the skilled uh, teacher he was with Naropa, he never praised him. Here's another legend that is told about the, this, uh, this relationship. Uh, one time, Talopa wanted Naropa to make a mandala offering to him. A mandala offering, to make it very simple, is an offering of gratitude, of love, of generosity, and in this case, to his teacher. And uh, Naropa said, I don't have anything to give you that would be worthy of an offering to you. And he said, you have blood and you have fingers. One of the gifts that we sometimes give to our gurus is flowers. So he said, you have blood and you have fingers. So Naropa cut off all of his fingers, bled, arranged the fingers in the form of a flower and offered it to Talopa. And Talopa's response to him was to take, all, take out a shoe and hit him over the head. He, he uh, was unconscious as a result of that. And when he woke up, guess what? He understood reality as it really was. That's the story that is told about Talopa Naropa.
Now, now let's go on to uh, Marpa. He's in the middle there. By the way, in your uh, packet, uh, you have a piece of yellow paper and you have a pencil. And if at any time you, you could sort of call this an idea catcher. If there's an idea that comes to your mind, you want to write something down, do it. If you have a question you have, sometimes people don't like to get up to the microphone. Uh, just write down your question. We'll pick up those later on. So an idea catcher or question catcher. So now let's go on to Marpa. He's called Choni Lodro, Marpa Choni Lodro. I don't speak uh, Tibetan, I, I, I have to be honest with you. By the way, it really is important that I be honest with you. One time there was a, a Lama, an American Lama went to the Dalai Lama and said, how do I uh, bridge the gap between who I am and what I'm talking about? The Dalai Lama did not understand that question. So the, the fellow asked it again. What do I do between the distance that I feel between who I am and what I'm talking about? And the Dalai Lama said, you don't teach. <laughs> the point being, if I'm up here telling you I taught or I understood Tibetan, uh, I shouldn't be up here. I don't, I don't, I don't speak uh, Tibetan. But anyway, uh, Marpa, his name was also Choni Lodro, which means intelligence of the Dharma. And he was born to a well-to-do family. Uh, he began studying at a young age. They said he was wild. Well, all the... Uh, Teachers that I have ever been taught by said they were wild children. But apparently, uh, Marva really was a pretty wild kid. Uh, but anyway, his, his uh, dad taught him uh, different medical arts, and he actually mastered them. He, it is said that he had about 20 different uh, doctors teaching him how to be a, a, a good physician. Uh, so uh, it was like that. Also, at a very young age, he learned, uh, he learned the Sanskrit language. And finally, he decided to travel to India to study. Uh, and he wanted to study the Dharma. So he went to, Indi went to India. You know, we don't really understand how big of an ordeal that might have been to go that distance. And he went there three times. And he went a number of times to Nepal. I'll give you just a little example. Um, some years ago, I was, had the privilege of going with Kimbukhaja Rinpoche to uh, uh, to, to Tibet, and uh, it's, it can be very cold, and it can be very, very hot. Uh, they warned us when we were uh, on tour, he said, make sure you put lots of sunscreen on. Uh, and I did, except around my, up here on my eyelids, and uh, I, they were scorched <laughs> for about three weeks. Uh, 
the sun at that level is so intense. So I'm telling you this to, to underscore the fact that going from Tibet to India was no small deal. And Marpa went there three times. The first, after the first time he went there, he converted his entire inheritance so that he could make return visits. So uh, on one of his visits, uh, he went to Nalanda University, which is, if you remember, where uh, Naropa uh, taught. And he then, he then studied with him for 12 years, a long time. And he took what's called abhishekas, which are empowerments to be able to actually do some of the practices. He got instructions. Uh, in addition to Naropa, uh, he also uh, studied under different teachers that Naropa sent him to. So at the end of 12 years, uh, Marpa offered what's called a grana chakra. And that's basically a feast uh, uh, where one imagines uh, deities being present uh, and you're making offerings and so forth. It's a big deal. And uh, at that point, uh, Marpa sang his first song of realization. So he traveled back to Tibet. He taught for a while. And then he again traveled back to India two more times. And after uh, the last time he went there, he received all the teachings that we now have uh, within the lineage from India. Uh, they are the Mahamudra teachings, which I've already talked a little bit about. It's about the way we come to learn the nature of our own mind various tantras like you know uh, tantra might be for example uh, uh, one we do here is chinresi other sacred teachings and also the six yogas of naropa and uh, the six uh, yogas are generally taught within the uh, setting of a, of a retreat it's like this. Uh, you're not going to learn brain surgery while mowing your grass. You got to have a little bit of, it's not like, well, it's, it's just like that. You can't learn by just being out in the world and trying to concentrate on these kinds of things. Although I am understanding that uh, uh, Kempo Tenkan is going to be teaching one of them on dream yoga down in Gainesville in a couple of weeks. So I presume that will be open to everyone. I'm not certain of that. Uh, yeah, uh, but in any case, uh, I'm not authorized to teach such things. Uh, they're just, uh, they're beyond my pay range, you might say. But uh, I, I can tell you what they are. Uh, I would not suggest you're taking books out that cover these subjects for the very reason I told you. 
that uh, you probably won't understand them, and even if you understood a little bit, you would not be able to practice them properly. But those practices include tumo, which is inner heat, kandali in uh, Sanskrit, osal, uh, which is the yoga of clear light, um, milam, which is uh, dream state, and uh, uh, gulu, which is the uh, yoga of illusory body. Then there's bardo, which is the yoga of the intermediate state. Poa, which is the transference of consciousness to a pure Buddha field. And I'm, I'm giving you this information just to give you an idea of the vastness and the beauty of the inheritance we've received from all these Mahasiddhas. But again, I, I will tell you, those kind of practices would be done in retreat. So on his return, Marpa spent a lot of time translating Buddhist scriptures and uh, contributed to the effort to bring the complete Dharma to uh, Tibet. Many of his translations are part of the Kanjur and Tinjur. Hopefully those will be uh, before us in the not too distant future, the sacred teachings, uh, as, along with the statue of uh, Vajradhar. Hopefully that will be here too. So uh, on, after his, let's put it this way, after his third visit to India, Milarepa became a disciple of Marpa. Now, Milarepa, and I won't go into his story very much, and Milarepa is uh, the white-clad individual, and that would, I think, be on your right, correct? It's on your right. He's the, he's the fellow in the, in the cotton, uh, white cotton cloth. So, um, he's one of uh, Tibet's greatest yogis. Uh, he was famous for his strict mountain retreats. Again, something we can't do, but boy, to, to think about, to contemplate the diligence and the effort this fellow put in to becoming realized. It's amazing. <laughs> and that's not myth. <laughs> that's the truth. He spent years in mountain retreat. So the story, and I'll be very brief, the story is when he was very young, his father and mother, excuse me, his father died and his inheritance went to his uncle and not to his mother. His mother was very angry and resentful of that. And the townspeople treated them very badly. Uh, and in fact, his uncle sort of enslaved him. And his mother, in resentment, sent uh, Talopa, or excuse me, uh, Melarepa off to learn black magic. He came back, and the story is he killed. The, the, there's between 37 and 35. It doesn't matter, it's a lot. Uh, and those included his uncle and his aunt and many of the townspeople. So here is, this is the the diversity 
of our lineage. Here is a man who, by whatever account, destroyed 37 lives and yet went on to be awakened. That's a pretty amazing story. And the only way that happened was he realized the nature of his offenses and he had extraordinary remorse for what he did. He realized the nature of karma, that what he did had enormous consequences for him. So he began to study the Dharma and his chief teacher became Marpa. Now, I won't go into all the stories involved there, but basically the idea here is uh, he, Marpa knew his student and knew him well and knew he had to put him through all kinds of ordeals to purify the karma of all those things he had done in the past. One of the things he made him do was build a tower and, and build different towers across, the, and, and then tear them up. He'd say, go build that. He'd go build it. And he'd say, okay, now go back and tear it down. And over and over again, these were the trials and the tests that Marpa put Milarepa through. So through that, Milarepa became enlightened. And as a part of his enlightenment, he composed beautiful songs and poems. Uh, and you can read those. They're probably in the library downstairs. Beautiful expressions of clarity of how he became enlightened. So I, I recommend uh, you're going through this. In fact, uh, someone told me last week that's their current practice, is taking those songs out, reading them, contemplating them, and then meditating on them. So, so it's pretty cool. So uh, then we're going down further. Now we're going to, uh, to Gompopa. He's the guy in the red hat. I, I sound a little disrespectful, I shouldn't say it that way. He's the, the enlightened being <laughs> with the red hat. So uh, Gampopa uh, studied uh, medical sciences and he received training as a physician. Uh, and uh, as I said before, he, uh, he trained under various doctors. Uh, he was called Dakpo Laje, which is uh, the physician from Dakpo. By the way, if I said uh, Marpa was a physician, that's all wrong. I'm sorry. Did I say that? Uh, sorry about that. That's not so. Uh, it was uh, it was Gompopa that was a uh, physician. Marpa actually was a farmer. And uh, he had a, 
a wife uh, and a couple kids. So he was a householder. So sorry about that, but I, I cleared it up hopefully. So now let's go to Gompopa. Gompopa uh, also married at a very young age and he had two kids and he was a householder also and he was a highly uh, trained physician. Uh, but something very sad happened. At a very young age, his wife and two children uh, contacted the plague and died. Before she died, she was holding on and holding on, and so Gampova went to her and said, you, there is obviously something you're holding on to. What is it so I can help you? And, he's, and she said, I don't want you to marry again. I want you to practice Dharma. Will you make me that promise? And so Gampopa made that promise to his wife and he became a monk at her death, and the death of her two children, uh, his two children. So all these folks that we're talking about here had some sort of difficulties to overcome, some obstacle they had to come through. This is a good lesson for us. We sometimes think when we come here to practice Dharma, everything's gonna be easy. It's just, you know, I just have to find the right formula. It's all going to be easy. That's not the way it is. There's going to be obstacles. Gampopa lost his wife and two kids. And as a result of that, he went on to practice. So the difference maybe between them and us is they use the obstacles that are put in front of them to transcend them rather than to be overwhelmed by them. That's a big difference. So anyway, at the age of 25, uh, Gampopa received uh, full uh, monastic ordination. And at the, uh, at the age of 28, he also received uh, Kadampa teachings. Basically, those are the t some of those teachings are the teachings of Atisha, Lojan, uh, Tonglen, those, those kind of teachings. He received those. And the, and the reason I'm bringing that to your attention is uh, Gampopa brought those into our tradition. If it had not been for Gampopa, we would not have the uh, Lojan teachings. So anyway, learning of the uh, great uh, reputation of Melarepa, he went to find Melarepa, and he did. And he, uh, he studied under him for a very long time. One of the interesting things is, right when he was to meet uh, Melarepa, Melarepa didn't seem at first. He kept him away for a couple of weeks because he felt that uh, Gampopa was a little bit prideful. So he's gonna keep him at a distance for a little bit. And then when they actually met, what uh, Melarepa did was say, take some beer here, drink some beer. And here you have this monk who, you know, 
would abstain from alcohol is part of you know what he understood the Buddha to say. Don't don't be engaging in drinking alcohol. And yet here is Melarepa saying, "Here, take some beer." That was the first test. Gampapa took the beer, drank it down. And because of that, Melarepa knew that whatever instructions he gave his students, his student was going to carry it out. So these teachers use what we would consider pretty unorthodox ways of teaching to, to uh, get to make the minds of their students more open. You know, there's, there's a very, there's a great deal of beauty in the monastic way of life. But Milarepa said, to, to be a teacher within this lineage, you're gonna to have to have a mind bigger than that. It's not just all about monasteries out there, it's real people here in this world. And that's what Milarepa taught Gampopa. So I could go on, but I'm going to uh, not go too much further with this, uh, with uh, Milarepa's life. Um, so the last teaching that Milarepa gave to Gampopa was as Gampopa was leaving, Melarepa said to Gampopa, I have one last teaching I got to give you. Most profound teaching I can teach you. Nothing is more profound than this last one. And Gampopa was pretty excited about this. So Melarepa turned his back onto Gampopa, pulled up his skirt, and showed Gampopa his behind. His behind had lots of calluses on it. The teaching here was, you're not going to get any place without meditation. And I'm showing you just how much meditation you're going to have to do <laughs> before you can consider yourselves the likes of me. That was his last teaching. So the next person that we're going to look at within our family is Dusam Kempa, knower of the three times. He's also considered the first Karmapa. He wasn't known in his uh, lifetime necessarily as the first Karmapa, but that in subsequent times became his title. Uh, he was born to a very devoted uh, Buddhist practitioner family. Uh, and he first studied with his father. And he also continued teaching with uh, other Buddhist teachers. Now, th this is a story not all, always told in all the stories, but in this story it is told that uh, he murdered the, uh, the fiancé of his ex-girlfriend. Diverse group here. <laughs> and again, the point is, if there are many points here, 
But the one point that I would share with you is that no matter what you've done before you entered these doors, if you practice with diligence and devotion, you'll make progress. These folks, their diligence was far beyond what we'll ever have. But that's not to say that what we do cannot make us better people. And that's the point. So there, in our family tree, there are people that murdered people by black magic. There are people there, however, that did great deeds simply because they recognized the nature of karma and through their practice overcame it. So we don't have a lot of time left, 10 minutes. So uh, the prayer you have there, so this is a prayer that basically we say, uh, well, let me put it this way. Uh, Kimball Carter Rinpoche said this had us say this prayer before every teaching he ever gave. It, so it, it's a very important and very special prayer. In the beginning, uh, as a field of merit, we would say, we have all the folks that I just talked about. And we see them, visualize them, in a field of merit in front of us. So let's just say the prayer together, if you will. Again, use your outside voices. Okay. <clears throat> I have to keep trying which glasses to say. <laughs> okay. Great Vajradhara, Tilopa, Naropa, Marpa, Mila, Lord of the Dharma, Gampopa, knower of the three times, Omnisha Karmapa, holder of the four elder and eight later lineages, the Drigo, Taklun, Sapa, Glorious Drupa, and the rest, masters of the profound path of Mahamudra, the Dakpo Kaju, the unequaled protectors of beings, I supplicate you, Kaju Gurus. I hold your lineage. Bless me to follow your example. Revulsion is the legs of meditation it is taught. To this meditator who is without craving for food and wealth and who cuts all ties to this life, Grant your blessing to be free of attachment to gain and fame. Devotion is the head of meditation, it is taught. To this meditator who continually prays to the guru, who opens the door to the treasury of oral instructions, 
Grant your blessing that uncontrived devotion may arise. Non-distraction is the body of meditation it is taught. To this meditator who rests directly without altering the fresh essence of whatever thought that arises, grant your blessing that meditation be free from intellect. The essence of thought is dharmakaya, it is taught. It is no thing, yet arises as everything. To the meditator who appears in this unceasing play, grant your blessing to realize the inseparability of samsara and nirvana. Never parting from the true guru in all our lives, may I enjoy the splendor of the Dharma, perfect the qualities of the levels and paths, and swiftly attain the state of Vajradhara. I was hoping in this teaching to be able to explain this prayer to you. We're not going to have time. It's, it's far too profound uh, for me to give a cursory view of it. But take it home. Study it. Read it. You can also receive a teaching uh, from the Karmapa on this uh, prayer. Uh, uh, all you have to do is Google Karmapa and Vajradhara lineage prayer, and that teaching will come up. Uh, and maybe in a future teaching, I'll, I'll go over it. So, but I will for the last part. I told you I would share with you one of the jewels uh, of our lineage that was given to us. And it is the six words of advice from Tilopa. So to do that, what I want you to do is just sit in meditation posture. And we'll just do shamatha for a few minutes. Our back's nice and straight. Our, tent, our chin tucked in. Our hands over the, draped over our knees or in uh, whatever uh, way you like, you're used to. I like my hands draped over my knees our chin tucked in, our tongue up against the roof of our mouth, our gaze slightly off the end of our nose, not engaging in anything in particular. And further, our technique is to put our awareness on our breath simply observing our breath coming in and going out. When our mind strays, gently come back to the breath. The object of our meditation is our breath natural, gentle, flowing in 
and flowing out. Talopa's six words of advice. Don't recall. Let go of what is past. Don't hold on to it. Don't engage in it. His second words of advice, don't imagine. Let go of what may come. Then he said, don't think. Let go of what's happening right now. Then he said, don't imagine. Don't try to figure anything out. It's okay. You don't have to figure anything out here. Let go of trying to figure things out. Then he said, don't control. Don't try to make anything up. Don't try to make this moment any better than it is. It's just okay the way it is. Don't control. Then he said, rest, relax, rest right now. And if your mind strays from resting, go back to the breath. And then if you like, go back to simply resting.
So um, we have maybe, the time may be up, but I would like to have time for questions. If anyone would like to raise a question, maybe you wrote it down on a piece of paper uh, or some thoughts. Why don't you come up here? I can. I'll give you the microphone. Oh, you got one. Hey, I just had more of a technical question. So we're Tilopa and Naropa in India, and then Marpa, Milarepa, Gampopa, and so forth. We're in Tibet. I'm sorry. Uh, were Tilopa and Naropa based in India? Correct. And then, and then Marpa is the one who brought. Yes. And then Milarepa and Gampopa were in Tibet. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did I confuse you? <clears throat> no, no. I just was confirming. Yeah. I um, apologize about saying that uh, Marpa was the physician. I got, I got confused. Oh no. Okay. It was clear. Okay. The, uh, my other question was the two at the bottom, on the, the bottom left and the bottom right. Oh, okay. Yeah. On the uh, right is Vajrayagini, and on the left is uh, Mahakala. Uh, Mahakala is a protector of the lineage, so it's very appropriate that he's there. Vajrayagini, uh, in different um, stories or different ways of looking at her, she is the mother of all Buddhas. So she has a place there. One of the things I would say also about this is you, you see the absence of women, right? But many, many of these uh, masters had teachers who were their consorts and women. Dakinis were also their teachers. So um, the untold story of women in Dharma is maybe a talk that <laughs> could come up in the future. Because uh, obviously in Tibet at the time it was a, a patriarchal society. And women were not always in the stories subsequently told given the place they actually had within the Dharma. Anybody, anything else? Okay. So let's do the dedication of merit. By this merit, may we all attain omniscience. May it defeat the enemy wrongdoing. From the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. The courageous Manjushri, who knows everything as it is, Samantavadra, who also knows in the same way, and all the bodhisattvas, that I may follow in their path, I completely dedicate all this virtue. Again, thank you so much for being here today. Um, and uh, have a great week and uh, blessed uh, Easter. The reason I say that, I have to 
real quickly. I was in a store a couple uh, hours ago, and I was in line, and I said, Happy Easter to the woman in front of me, and she said, No, no, sir, it's Blessed Easter. And she told me the entire Easter story. It was very, it was very sweet. So, Blessed Easter to all of you. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.